Well, amen. What a wonderful couple of songs to sing this morning about our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm privileged to be with you folks and share the good things that God has for us from, from his word. It's a wonderful privilege to stand before God's people and just share these things, and we trust that God's going to speak through his heart, or through his word to your heart this morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews in the third chapter. We're just going to look at a couple of uh, phrases here to get us started, and then we will be looking at quite a number of various uh, sections from the book of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. What a wonderful, wonderful statement that is. Verse 2 says, Who was faithful to him who appointed him? And dear friends, I want you to understand that our faithful Lord Jesus not only came from heaven's glory, lived among men, and died on the cross, but when he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, he ascended back to heaven to be our high priest. And that's our theme this morning. What does it mean that Jesus is a high priest? on our behalf. We're going to look into that, but first, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister your grace to each heart. Help us to learn truths that will be applicable to our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I would have us to note here, dear friends, that Jesus is our faithful apostle and high priest. He has a name that is above all names. His name means Savior. And at the outset this morning, I want you to know we're talking about those who have trusted Christ as Savior and are his dear children. All these truths that we have for you this morning are for people who know and trust in the Lord and love him. Because we want to see what Jesus has done for us. His is the name above all names. In John chapter 20 and verse 31, the apostle John uh, concludes his writings by saying this, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So our first point to consider is that he, Jesus, is the name above all names. There's power in the name of Jesus, dear friends. Power to save. Power to uh, see us through life. Power to minister his grace to us. You know, in the name of Jesus, there's power and authority. We believe that. When Peter saw a man who had been lame, he reached out to that man, and he said, when he healed him, he said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, this man 
is standing well before you. He healed him in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And as Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, verse 10, excuse me, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you come here to uh, this truth that he is the name above all names because salvation is only in and through the Lord Jesus. There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, we read, and such were some of you. He's talking about their previous life and what they were involved with. But you are washed. You were sanctified, made holy. You were justified. And then it says, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so, dear friends, we acknowledge his supremacy. We acknowledge that he is with us when we are assembled together and we worship him. Apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful to know that he is with us here in this place today? And so we do all things in Jesus' name. When we pray, we pray in Jesus' name, don't we? We always end our prayers in Jesus' name. And I think that's absolutely appropriate. Furthermore, when we pray, we pray to our Heavenly Father. You know, I've heard a lot of people pray, pray to the Holy Spirit, pray to Jesus. But the, the uh, prescribed way of praying was given to us by Jesus himself when he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now notice that because, you see, we pray to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so important for us to recognize that Jesus is our intercessor. And this is what we're going to delve into this morning. Prayer is the blessed uh, privilege for every believer because Jesus tore open the veil between God and man. When he cried from the cross, it is finished. The Bible says the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, from God to man, and the way was laid open into the very inner recesses of the Holy of Holies. That place where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And it pointed to us to the fact that we have access to the throne room of God. Think of that. What a tremendous privilege that is. And so we find that we have been made holy through the blood of Christ. Sanctified. That's the only reason we have access. is because of what the righteousness of the Lord Jesus applied to us. And oh, what a wonderful high priest he is. You see, the Old Testament high priest would bring a blood uh, offering into the Holy of Holies only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would uh, make atonement 
for the sins of the people as the blood was sprinkled there on the altar. And we find that word atonement does not mean that sins are, uh, are completely wiped away. The word atonement simply means a covering. In other words, God would see that and recognize it as that which looked forward to the day when Jesus would die on the cross. And his blood would be spilt and it would be the payment price of our sins. So understanding that, we see now that we are cleansed and made holy and uh, made uh, able to come into the very presence of God. What a wonderful privilege that is. In fact, we need to be more appreciative of that fact. I often wonder, do we avail ourselves, as we ought to, of this wonderful access to God? Do we spend time in communion with him each day? Do we bring our requests and our supplications before him? He desires that of us. In fact, we are told in scripture to pray without ceasing. We're said in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And so we find that we have a way to his very presence through our great high priest. Now you'll notice here, Jesus is called our faithful and merciful high priest. Dear friends, there's a wonderful passage in which we see that revealed to us clearly. It's in John chapter 17. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with this passage, but this passage has been called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. And it gives us a glimpse of what he's doing for us in heaven today. He prays for his own. He prays to the Heavenly Father, intercedes for his own at that time of their need. And I turn here to chapter 17 in in the Gospel of John, and we find what it says here. He says, uh, I look, we're going to look down at verse 9 to begin with. He says, I am praying for them. He's talking about his own. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. For they are yours, and all yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. What a wonderful prayer. He prays that God would be with them in this time uh, when he was going to be going to the cross. And he prays that they might be faithful to the Lord in upholding uh, prayer on behalf of our Lord and Savior. Now you skip down here to verse 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, I want you to notice that he is our intercessor and he's praying that the evil one might not gain a victory over his own people. Verse 16 says, they're not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, dear friends, I don't have time to read all this, but I would urge you to read John 17, Christ's intercessory prayer, his high priestly prayer, 
on behalf of his own. And it will show us so very clearly how that Jesus is doing the same thing for us today from his position in heaven. He is our faithful high priest. What a gracious prayer. And you notice, it's right on the eve of Jesus going to the cross. He's not praying for himself. I think if it was me, I'd be praying, Lord, help me. <laughs> Lord, see, uh, well, even get, keep me from this. But he's praying here in John 17 for his own. And I think that's just a tremendous demonstration of his infinite love. Love for his own. Love for you. You're his dear child. And so we find this prayer reveals to us Jesus' love for his own both then and now. And his concern for our welfare. Listen, dear friends, today, even now, he is in heaven praying for us even as he did on that night. And scripture tells us he is able to help those who are tempted, for he knows what it is to be sorely tempted, doesn't he? Even at the very beginning of his ministry, the Holy Spirit came to him at a time when he was weakened physically. He had been in the desert for 40 days and nights without food. And we find that Satan comes along and says, make these stones into bread and you can have something to eat. You see, Jesus was sorely tempted, yet without sin. And so he knows all about our needs, our temptations, and he is not only a high priest, but a faithful and merciful high priest, knowing what we go through as well. Here uh, in the second uh, chapter of Hebrews, <clears throat> in verses 17 and 18, we read this. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, temptation doesn't have to overtake us. We have one who, in heaven who is praying for us. He endured what we endure. He didn't sin. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we fall to those temptations. But you know what? He pleads our cause because he understands our weakness. Because he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so we find Jesus knows our needs. He's a wonderful, faithful, and merciful high priest. By the way, I read a word that perhaps needs a little uh, understanding. And that is in verse 17, it said uh, that he might be a propitiation for the sins of the people. Now that's a big word. The word propitiation simply means that which satisfies the, the just demands of a holy God. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin because 
The blood of Christ was that which satisfied the holy demand, the just demands of a holy God. That's what propitiation means. And I think it's a very important uh, concept that Jesus' blood paid the price for my sin so I would not have to. And it also cleared the way for me to approach a holy God through our high priest, the Lord Jesus. Precious truth. And so we find he is our intercessor. What a wonderful um, theme that is. You see, the word intercessor means one who stands in for us. He is the one who voices before the Father our impotent and perhaps weak um, uh, prayers. Maybe we don't know how to pray as we ought. But Jesus interprets our prayers in appropriate way for the Heavenly Father. And so we claim access to the Father through the Lord Jesus, who stands in our place before the Father to speak for us who are weak and feeble and sometimes ignorant on how to pray. And today, dear friends, Jesus is interceding for us before the Heavenly Father. And you'll notice that he is compassionate. As we go over here to the fourth chapter, we re- uh, Brother Mike, Pastor Mike read this uh, at the beginning of the service this morning. In verses 14 through 16, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Isn't that wonderful? Does that not bless your heart? That... He cares, and believe me, we are weak. I know I am. And I'm susceptible to the schemes of the devil. We all are. But we have one in heaven who pleads our cause. And there's old Satan standing there. What does he want to do? He wants to accuse us. He wants to say, look at what that Ron did. He needs to be condemned for that. But Jesus is our intercessor, and he's our advocate, dear friend. He pleads our cause. And so it continues on here. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow. Tremendous truth, dear friends. We find mercy and grace. You know what those two words are? I like to tell it this way. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is over and above that, giving us what we don't deserve, you see. And so God, through the Lord Jesus, is giving us all of this as he stands before the throne of God. And he's compassionate, understanding our weakness. Therefore, we need to and should come with boldness before the throne of God. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We come before the throne of God, not in the boldness or or confidence of our flesh or who we think we are. That's nothing. We come before God with boldness because we are God's children. And our heavenly 
Father is listening to his son and he's hearing our prayers come through him. And so we have the promise of forgiveness of sins and the cleansing at his throne of grace. 1 John 1.9 reminds us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's two more key words in that, faithful and just. You see, he can't just forgive us our sins uh, just because he wants to. He forgives us our sins because he is faithful to his promise and because he is just. What does the word just mean? It means he's absolutely faithful to who he is. He's faithful to his holy character. He is just in forgiving us. And that's the key thing, you see. Our intercessor, the one who has shed his blood for us, says, you are forgiven on the basis of my shed blood. That makes it a just uh, accomplishment. Praise God for that. Now, we find furthermore that God has made us to be kings and priests unto the Lord. We know we have no need for an earthly priesthood as did Israel. Jesus Christ is in heaven as our high priest, and he likewise has become our sacrifice. There is no need for the Old Testament sacrificial system anymore. It has been done away in Christ. Now I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews in the ninth chapter. And consider a few truths here. Chapter 9, look at, looking at verse 11, by the way, this book of Hebrews is just packed full of wonderful truths about Christ our high priest. And so we can't possibly uh, take it all in this morning. However, I do know that our pastor has told me that he's going to begin a series, uh, a series of studies through the book of Hebrews quite soon. So maybe I'm kind of... Uh, entering into his uh, ideas and, and preaching ahead of him. But I did talk with him about it ahead of time, so we're, we're okay. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent, some of your Bibles say tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. Wow, what a tremendous truth. The old has been thrown aside. Because it's all been completed and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. The blood of animals could never pay for our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so we find that Jesus is there in heaven interceding for us. So you come down here to, in, in this ninth chapter to verse 15. Therefore... Because of all of this, that, that all of this is true, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Do you remember the night just before Jesus went to the cross? He sat with his disciples at a table. We call it the last Last Supper. And we find that the Lord Jesus lifted that cup. He had first taken the bread, and then he lifted the cup. And here's what he said. This cup, speaking of uh, of the contents in that, uh, are the New Testament, or the New Covenant in my blood. You see, his shed blood on the cross instituted a new covenant. Not that old covenant of continual sacrifices and a priesthood that had to be uh, recognized and go through over and over and over. Priests would come along and they would serve until they died, then they had to choose somebody else. But we find we have a continuous um, mediator in heaven who because of his own blood has set us free from our sins and given us access to him. He is the mediator of a new covenant. What a glorious truth. And so we find Jesus is always there for us and we can approach the throne of of grace anytime in any place. I want to send one word of caution to us. Some churches still hold to much of the Old Testament way of doing things. They have their own priesthood. An earthly priesthood. Now we read here in scripture that only the earthly priesthood was done away in Christ. But those who are of that persuasion believe that they have to go to God through a, uh, an earthly priest. And this is absolutely contrary to the word of God. Furthermore, we already read here that Jesus died on the cross once for sin forever. We don't have to come and re-crucify the Lord Jesus every Sunday, as some do, as they practice what they understand the communion service to be. Dear friends, Jesus completed all of it, and he's continuing on. You know, when Jesus' uh, last words on the cross were, it is finished, his work on earth for the for the. Uh, con- came to a conclusion when he died and paid the penalty for our sin. But it did not mean he's finished with us because he is a continuing high priest. And we will notice that. What a wonderful truth that is. We do not want to deprive people of the direct access that we have to the throne of God thinking we must go through some earthly priest. We do not need an intermediary to come before God on our behalf because that's what Jesus does. And so we find that Christ has replaced the Old Testament Levitical system by his sacrificial death on the cross. The temple veil was rent. The way to the inner sanctum of God was open. Now you'll notice too, in regard to this, that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and our body is his 
temple. It's important for us to understand God is still with us. Jesus, as we said, ascended back to heaven. But what happened? He sent us his Holy Spirit. And so he said to his disciples, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to go into an inner sanctum uh, through the veil because we enter the throne room of God in heaven and we are empowered by the Spirit of God who lives within us. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, she asked him the question, well, where should we worship? Should we worship here in this mountain or should we go up to Jerusalem? And the Lord Jesus said, God is not worshipped in tabernacles made with hand, but in the holy temple of God in heaven. And then later on he said, your body, just as we read it, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Dear friends, he's with us. We can pray. We can uh, be close to him because he's with us. So we find that this is a wonderful truth from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Remember that. When you're tempted to do things that are wrong, your body is the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own. God paid the ultimate price for you, and your responsibility is to live for him and serve him. He is now our high priest. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 says, We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place, Beyond the curtain, the very throne room of God. Now, one other important thing that we need to understand in in regard to Christ's uh, priesthood. Jesus was not a priest after the Levitical order. That's a key thing. Now, we're talking about the Aaronic priesthood. That is, Aaron was the first priest uh, to God. And then there was a succession of priesthood all the way down. But Jesus was not part of that priesthood. You see, the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. They were the Levites. And so we find that was the priestly caste. Jesus came as, uh, from the tribe of Judah. That was the royal tribe. That's where the kings came from. That's where uh, David was their king, you see. And Jesus is of the royal lineage of David. So how is it that he's a priest if he's not of the Levitical or the Aaronic priesthood? Well, this whole system, as we said, has been done away. And the greatest of the Lord's priesthood is typified in what we call the order of Melchizedek. Remember that name? Don't try to spell it, but... Remember it, what he's done. Remember Abraham honored Melchizedek after they had gone through that battle. And he paid tithes to him. Because this man Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Later known as Jerusalem. 
But way back there in that day, this man, Melchizedek, was, his, his lineage was, has never been found. They don't know where he came from or who he is. And so they're likening Jesus' priestly ministry to Melchizedek in a number of different ways. And I'd like to just take a few moments. Psalm 110, verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and not changed his mind. You are, speaking of the Lord Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So turn with me to the fifth chapter of this book of Hebrews. And look at verse, the first few verses here in chapter 5. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. You see, those earthly priests were sinners too. Just as he does for those of the people. And no one can take this offer for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ, also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, you are my son, today have I begotten you. That's the Father in heaven. Look at verse 6. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the key understanding, he goes on to spend quite a bit of time uh, explaining this, but the key to our understanding this Melchizedek uh, part of it is that he is a priest forever. You see, the, the Melchizedek, it said, without um, beginning, and without ending. They didn't have a birth date for him. They didn't know. And some even believe maybe this was a, a pre-appearance of the Lord himself way back in Abraham's day. We can't substantiate that. But nevertheless, this Melchizedek is a type, a picture of the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. And it's a continuing priesthood. You see, the priests back then were, uh, like I said, able to minister and do their work until the Lord took them home. But this priest has a continuing priesthood forever. In other words, he will always be, excuse me, be our high priest. And so we find this unique priesthood eliminates the shortcomings of the Aaronic priesthood. As we go over here to chapter 7, I want to notice just a few verses here. Verse 11 of chapter 7 says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. He's saying, uh, why do we need a new order of priesthood? This uh, Melchizedek priesthood. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the, 
For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one ever served at the, at the altar. So in other words, he wasn't of the Levitical line. For it is evident that our Lord descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible law, life. An indestructible life. Our, our, our priesthood in heaven is an eternal priesthood. For it is written, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a blessed and wonderful truth that is. Christ is ascended as high priest to the true tabernacle in heaven, dear friend. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the, the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a glorious and wonderful truth, dear friends, that he made one sacrifice for sin forever. It is finished. And then he ascended to heaven to be our abiding high priest. Go with me to chapter 10 for just a moment, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses there. In chapter 10, it says in verses uh, uh, 12 through 14, we'll read verse 11 with it. And every, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, notice, notice this, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So if there's a church that is crucifying Christ in what they call the Mass every Sunday, they're doing exactly what the Old Testament priests did. But, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. When that sitting down means the work is done. I'm going to sit down. Waiting for the time until his Enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by one single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For all time we have been sanctified through the blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for, the, for after the saying, this is the covenant that I will be with, uh, make with them after those days, says the Lord. What a wonderful and blessed truth we have in this wonderful book of Hebrews. Our sins have been removed, and praise God, we have access to the Father. And dear friends, why would any church, through their doctrine, want to take away the most wonderful privileges every child of God has, and which are enumerated expressly in his word? Something's wrong there. Praise God, we are a Bible church. 
of Bible-believing people who trust the truth of God's word as it tells us of our great living Savior and High Priest. And last of all, I want to mention that he is our dutiful advocate. Dutiful advocate. The picture is somewhat like a courthouse. And here, Jesus is our defense against the accusations of the devil on the basis of his own shed blood. In Acts, excuse me, not Acts, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Apostle John writes this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. There's that word again. One who satisfies the just demands of a holy God. He is the one who satisfies the holy demands of God. And so it says, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so you see, the blood of Jesus Christ is, is uh, adequate for the sins of the entire world. Applied to those who have received him as Savior, accepted his gift of salvation. Our sins are gone. You see, dear friends, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. In the books of a record in heaven... There is no account of our sin. Our sins have been blotted out. The governing principle here is that the books of record had list of all the terrible sins that were accorded to us. But by the blood of Christ, those sins have been taken away. They're no longer recorded there. And in their place, we have received the righteousness of the Lord Jesus himself. Oh, we're saints now. That doesn't mean we're never going to sin again. But it means that we have been placed into that wonderful position in which when the books are open in heaven, they're going to see only the righteousness of Christ, our advocate, our intercessor, our high priest, in the books of record. But then there's Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 and verse 10 sums up the life, or the ministry, or I should say the efforts of Satan. And it reads this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God accuser of the brethren remember Job how that Satan came before the bar of God and he said oh that Job he appears to be a righteous man but if I put some real things into his life he'll, he'll uh, curse you alright go ahead and try but you see, Job was faithful. The point is, 
Here was Satan standing there accusing Job, and Satan put him to the test. And Job passed the test, so Satan, he failed. Do you remember in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1, we read about Joshua the high priest. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. You see, dear friends, that's our Lord. He rebukes Satan. He tells Satan, yes, I know about that sin, but it's been washed away in the blood of Christ. There is nothing left there to accuse him of. And furthermore, we find that sin was paid for on the cross. What a wonderful salvation. Dear friends, Jesus pleads our cause. And he does so on the basis of his own precious blood as payment for all sin and Satan's accusations are brought to naught. Wonderful, praise God. He's a defeated enemy. Yes, Jesus is our great high priest. He who has a name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is our faithful and merciful high priest. He is our dutiful advocate, our priest after the order of Melchizedek. A continuing high priest will always be there in our place. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Because he is there for us. It assured us, assures us of this continued access all the way until we see him face to face. And stand before him dressed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Aren't you thankful for our great, merciful, faithful, wonderful high priest? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful truth today. Oh, may you bless it to our hearts. May we go forth with a renewed sense of what a wonderful privilege we have in prayer. And may we take, our, uh, take advantage of that wonderful opportunity. Lord, we just commit these things to you. We pray your blessing upon your people today. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.